0: Cue the music. Hit the lights. Bring out the dancing girls, ladies and gentlemen. It's the season finale of Modern Day Philosophers. Hit it! It's the season nine finale of Modern Day Philosophers. You may have been listening since season one, or maybe you're just tuning in for this Particular episode, in which case you think, this guy is absolutely insane. It's the season finale of Modern Day. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Daniel Lobel. It's the season nine finale. Long awaited. Long anticipated. Or maybe you're like, oh, really? I guess another season's done. I got a comment, a rating and review. I always ask for them. Tend not to get them very often. That's fine. But when they come in, whoop, boy, I, I am excited. See, I don't think you get this from other podcast hosts. I think other podcast hosts take it for granted. They've got tons of ratings and reviews coming in. They're just, you know, rating and review mad. But me, it's a, it's a rare day. It's a, The last one was April 21st, and it's now, uh, the, the one that came in was September 6th. How do you like that? Three days ago, somebody named Lad. S-P-S-H-L-A-D, or maybe it's Like I don't know, writes Danny Lopel, five stars. Oh yeah, baby, that's the amount of stars we're looking for. He's very, very funny when he riffs off of his guests very, very fast and clever. Thank you for the LOLs. You're very welcome. Thank you for saying so. He has grown so much since the beginning, and it's wonderful to watch, in parentheses, listen to. It seems that since he got married, and now that he's going to be a father, he jumped to the next level of maturity. That's the jumping to the next level sound. It's like from a video game. He is so concerned about whether he will, quote, unquote, make it. I believe he already has. Thank you very much. My bank account says otherwise. No, no, no. I'd be positive. Not everyone rises to the level of Chris Rock. I get it. And we need people who deal with those of us on a different level. And I believe Danny is the person to do that. Well, thank you. And he has made it. Well, give the trumpets it's season nine finale of Modern Death. Okay. Can't wait to hear the stories of the new baby. I can't wait to tell you about them. I'm so excited. We are six weeks away, I think, God willing, from Delivery Day. That sounds like it could be a movie. Thank you, Danny, for all you reveal and all you share. Thank you, Spshlad, for writing that. And the way you draw out your guests. It's like that's like how you get demons out of someone. You draw them out. Get out of that guest information. You've got quite a gift, little piece of rainbow. Thank you very much. Special. Special. Appreciate it. Almost sounds like especially, but not enough that I wouldn't have to explain it. Well, here we are, folks. It's been another season, and um. I've got a beautiful, I really, I just want to take a moment on that because I read it kind of like funny, like it's not hitting me sentimentally, but it does. And uh, that was really nice. I read it twice. Well, once on the show. But still, it's a, it's a two-time read. And guess what? You could have yours read on the air as well. Just write a five-star review on Modern Day Philosopher's Wall in the iTunes or Apple Podcasts, store, whatever you call it now. And I would be very grateful, and I will read it. Okay. So today's show features a famous author. Ooh, LaBelle, you think you're so fancy now, having authors on your show? What, do you think you're a highfalutin intellectual? I remember in season one, Rick Shapiro... My my good friend of many years, the hilarious comedian Rick Shapiro said, what is this, a Jewish intellectual show? And I'm like, no. Well, I guess he was right. It's become that because I have a Jewish author on the show. And I think it was quite a Jewish intellectual kind of talk. And I was like, ah, Shapiro, you nailed it again. But anyway, uh, I guess it can be this and it can be that. It can be a little of both, something in between. And it doesn't have to be anything. It just has to be me. It doesn't even have to be me. Introducing the new host of Modern Day Philosophers. Hello, I'm uh, here, following in. All right, come on. This is not the, even the accent doesn't work for. Get out of here. That bit's not working. What is this? The Todd Glass show? All of a sudden? <laughs> ah, I'm in a good mood today, guys. I'm having a good time. Uh, Got my hair cut, all of them, in fact, or they probably hit most of them, and uh, I don't know, feeling good, keeping my vegan whole food lifestyle a-going, and feeling energized, happy, um, motivated. That's enough. AJ Jacobs wrote the book, My Year of Living Biblically, and many others as well. You may say, hmm, this interview sounds like it's got a bit of date to it. It does. I recorded it a year ago. It was on the memory card on which I could not access my interviews for quite a while. But there's eight more of these year-old interviews to come, and I'll tell you what, they're pretty good. You'll like them. I'll pepper them into the next season. Maybe even some of them will come out in two years. Who knows? That's how we do it here at Modern Day Philosophers. The last episode didn't come out till the person was already dead. Well, it was never intended for the podcast, but I still released an episode with somebody after they were dead. I'm not proud of it. I should have got that out earlier. Um, but I had nowhere I didn't know where I was going to put it. All right, enough excuses. This guy AJ Jacobs, great author. I also did his global family reunion event a few years back at the Queen Science Center in New York, not too far from where I was born and spent my formative years, in Flushing Meadows, New York. I think that's where that is. Well, I'm from Flushing anyway, listen. This guy, fantastic author, freaking great. You're gonna love him. He's from New York. Guy was in New York when I did the freaking interview. I'm gonna be in New York again next week for my best friend Growing Up's Wedding. You're gonna love it. I'm gonna get together with our boy Alex Fisella. We'll do a season wrap-up and all that kind of stuff. It's gonna be unbelievable. But in the meantime, here's a real Jewy intellectual talk between two Jews who are at least one of them's trying to be intellectual and the other one's an actual intellectual who's written books. Okay. And uh, I believe the book he promotes at the end here is still the most current book. And you can still buy it. And that would probably still help. Because sales are sales. And that's the business. uh, Sales is sales. You got to make sales. All right. Okay. All right. Clearly, somebody's not good at rhyming. Okay, everybody. But he's got good timing. Oh, maybe he can rhyme. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm out of my mind today. It's official. I'll just bring you the interview at this point. I think that's fair. Nobody needs this uh, knockoff Robin Williams over here. What? I'm just a tiny voice. I'm a big voice. I'm Latino. I, that wasn't even Latino. All right, LaBelle, bring it in. Focus, really, in LaBelle. Okay. Without further ado, Except, of course, for the, a little more ado. One more thing I should tell you is when I recorded this interview, I was fresh out of rehab, super optimistic. I'm still optimistic, but I thought I had cured all my problems with my weight, and that is reflected in this interview, and you might be like, what happened? I thought uh, there was more to the story there, but yes, there is. But when I got right out of rehab, I was a little delusional, and I believed that I had cured all my problems, and I was mentally where I always wanted to be and so on and all of that. But anyway, I'm still on that journey, and it's going all right. And now, without further ado, except, of course, for the intro song, my talk with the wonderful author, Mr. A.J. Jacobs.
1: Enjoy. When Daniel LaBelle was in school, he didn't pay any attention. He's older and wiser. He's learning philosophy with his comedian hench people, each of whom is a wonderful sage in their own right as well. It's modern-day philosophers, and now here's Daniel LaBelle. Uh Thanks for coming over. You know, I'm lazy, so I like people coming to me.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's nice. It's uh, door-to-door service. Exactly. <laughs> I know you were a door-to-door salesman, so
1: you're used to it. I know, because I like... I don't like Hugh Hefner's lifestyle in many ways, like the sex I don't need, but the staying inside in a bathroom, (laughs) that I'm very (laughs) jealous of.
0: It's funny. It's like, you know, I used to um, be a huge John Lennon fan. I guess I still am, but I'm not in that zone anymore, you know, where I was like, when I was in high school, I was like, this is the coolest guy. Right. And I was watching all these uh, documentaries about him. And I remember thinking back then, The part of John Lennon's life that I wanted to emulate were those years when he didn't leave the Dakota, (laughs) and he just made bread.
1: (laughs) Made bread. Well, in the documentary,
0: they just show him like making bread and like, you know, how he would sit in the window of the Dakota. I was like, that's the part I could do.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You want to skip the rock star part and just go to the shut in part? I'm with you. I'm with you. uh, None of the none of the touring Mm, or off touring. It sounds terrible. (laughs) All I think I I've
0: accomplished it. I think I've accomplished that goal. That is
1: good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, uh, I'm impressed. A shut-in, is it's not easy to do, you, you know? You yeah. Gotta, you got to have some. And podcasting is an excellent occupation for a shut-in. So that's yes.
0: good.
1: <laughs> Comedian, not so much.
0: Uh, I'm, I'm looking around. Uh, we're in a room filled with your books, uh, books not that you own so much as that you've written. Yeah, I'm
1: totally self absorbed. So uh, I have my own books on, but it's actually a lot are different translations of my books. And actually, my favorite translation there was a, a Chinese version of one of my books, and they had, I looked at the uh, about the author uh-huh. photo on the flap. And it was not me. No? It was this Chinese guy. <laughs> and I'm like, and he was good looking. I'm like, I'm not going to complain. Yeah. Maybe readers would rather buy it from, from him. One of the, So I was like, more power to him. What was the first book you wrote? Well, I've written, I, I wrote like some novelty books, like the kind they sell at the cash register or don't sell. Uh-huh. Uh, and so that one, the first one was called The Two Kings, Elvis and Jesus. So, uh, very philosophical, uh-huh. like your show, about the eerie similarities between those two. The first, like, actual book with words and pages was uh, The Know-It-All, which was about reading the encyclopedia from A to Z. Oh, wow. So, that's like a theme
0: of yours, is to go hard on things. That is basically, yes, the theme. <laughs> go hard. Because <laughs> I'm, I've, I've, you know, I'm a... I'm not, I was going to say I'm ashamed to admit, but that's only out of courtesy. The truth is, I have no shame about it, but I've only read
1: one of your books. No shame. Listen, that is far more. That's more than I've read of most
0: people's books. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And like 98% of interviewers have read zero. So you are like in the elite.
0: I'm actually proud of it. Which one was it? (laughs) It was my year of living biblically. Oh, yeah, exactly. That's how I became aware of you. And it was a, a really good book. I really. You know, it was a long time ago now that I read it, so I don't know how much I can pull out of my memory, but, <laughs> but I remember enjoying it. And, well, thank uh, you. That was my first exposure to you, and my second exposure to you was being asked to be part of the uh, Global. Global Family Reunion.
1: I know, and you were, I was so excited to have you in there, and yeah, the premise of that was that we're all cousins, and now with technology... We can prove how we're related. So I decided to hold a reunion of all seven billion of my cousins. Yeah. We didn't get a hundred percent uh turnout, but we got a few thousand people and we had these amazing speakers, including you and your brother, yeah. which was fantastic.
0: Do you remember were you there for what we did? Uh I heard
1: all about it, but yeah. I was busy like trying to schmooze. But yeah, tell me remind tell the tell the listeners too the wonderful thing was
0: that my brother was in the audience uh planted there and i was there i i got asked to do it because my ex-girlfriend through some crazy miracle who was she was adopted to like a trailer park family in florida wound up getting a scholarship to columbia after being a stand-up comic for years uh, got into a writing program there. And wound up sitting next to her biological sister in class at Columbia. It's the craziest story. It's the cra and and you have to wonder, like, why do these things happen? And I think the answer is so that I could go and attend the
1: <laughs> it was all about me. <laughs> it's most things are. Most <laughs> so, things
0: are. <laughs> so so she she was uh, you know, the subject that her and her sister um were were a great event at the global family reunion of, you know, perfect fit of a family reunion that happened um unexpectedly. And they wanted a moderator. And she said, oh, I'd like, I think it'd be funny to have my almost family member, somebody <laughs> who we, I dated seriously, but it didn't work out. And uh, she, she called me up and she said, would it be awkward or uh, funny? And I said, I think it'd be funny. And I said, okay. She says, okay, well, I want you to be the moderator for this event. So I went and I brought my younger brother and I planted him in the crowd And then when we opened it up to questions, he he like raised his hand and goes, starts asking questions like, uh, where are you from? I go, I'm from uh, Long Beach, Long Island. He goes, I'm from Long Beach, Long Island. I go, no kidding. Where, you know? Westchester Street. I'm from Westchester. <laughs> you know, is your is your do you have a, what's your dad's name? Richard. My dad's name is Richard. <laughs> and then it turned out we were brothers.
1: You know, and, that's a great twist.
0: <laughs> and were people
1: uh, liking it? Were they totally yeah,
0: baffled? People were were there was a small percentage of people that didn't get it, and most people were cracking up. You know, that
1: was great. And what about your ex? Have you kept in touch at all? Do you know, is she still, is she friends with her sister? Do they love each other, hate each other?
0: Um, So I am in touch with her. I think they fell out for a while. They were writing a book together about about it, and uh, something went sour in writing the book. And then the book fell apart, and then they weren't talking for a while, and then they started rekindling the relationship. And now they're friends again. Oh, so. thank,
1: That's good. That was a very stressful three-act story you just told. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad that they had the reconciliation. Because yeah. it's sort of like at this reunion, um, we had a bunch of people volunteer to come, including Sister Sledge. Yeah. But it reminds me, because we didn't have all four Sister Sledge sisters. We only had three of them, because it turns out that they don't get along. With one of them, Uh. they hate one of them, and like (laughs) (laughs) they they legally won't let her perform under the name Sister Sled, and that that always like broke my heart that this like <laughs> the ultimate well, family we love each other and they don't get along yeah so well family so, is family you family's know family's complicated yeah uh
0: and that was actually the highlight of the event for me was at the end of the the weekend there uh, this was all at the queen science center i don't know how you pulled this off but it was really amazing i like yeah
1: it it killed me for a year and a half i didn't get anything done <laughs> so but uh but
0: but uh yeah i got to go on stage with my brother and sister sledge and we <laughs> all sing we are family
1: i know i have photos if you don't out. do you have any photos of you uh, with Sister Sledge? Because if you don't, I'll track them down.
0: Okay. I know that we were on uh, New York 1. My, my mom saw it. She's like, she didn't even know that we were doing this. <laughs> she did. It. She's like, oh, my
1: <laughs> sons are such good singers. Who knew that they were like uh, R&B singers?
0: And I think one of those sisters from Sister Sledge died since then. Very sadly.
1: Yeah, Joni Sledge. She was sort of the, the lead Sister Sledge. And uh, she... Uh, she did die. My
0: brother's convinced that she was hitting on him in the tent afterwards, and that he should have gone for it. Yeah, just why for the, not? For the story, or another. exactly. But yeah, he said the one that, that passed away had a thing for him. Wow. Yeah.
1: Well, she was pretty. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been good. To have a little. Then uh, we
0: would have really been family. And like, you could have been a brother in closer family. We are sister Sledge. Are, that would be huge. Yeah. <laughs> we are now closer family. Um, so, I know some of your work. we mentioned that, and uh, I got to be part of that event, but I don't know much about you. So I'd like to hear where
1: you fr- where you're from, where you grew up, and a little bit of uh, your background. Sure, I'm happy to tell you i'm I grew up here in New York City. Uh, I didn't have a particularly exciting childhood except for one thing, which was i I was very curious. I still am. I think that's one of my. My few strengths is my curiosity. So I would, um, I would just go and explore parts of New York. I grew up a block away from the Celebrity Scientology Center here in New York. They have one on 82nd. and.
0: But that didn't they, exist when you were growing up. Oh, no, up. it did. Really? Oh, yeah. What year did Scientology start?
1: I think it's been around. Huh. I mean, this it, it had been around long enough, because I'll tell you what happened. I went in like when I was in high school, just to check it out. And they put me in a room to show me some propaganda movie. Mm-hmm. And I wanted I snuck out, which I can't believe I did, because those people are dangerous. Like, who knows what... Yeah. But I, I started just, like, exploring the building. And I wandered into this office on the top floor. Huge office, oak desk. There was a, a captain's hat on the desk. And it said l ron hubbard on the Uh nameplate and uh, and then they like caught up to me and like what are you doing here and i was like well i just interested is is l ron coming in today because he had died like five years ago Uh before yeah and they're like well we like to keep an office open in case he ever uh decides to take bodily form again and Uh i was like all right so you guys really are crazy yeah
0: yeah, but are they crazier in that respect than most religions that are holding on to some kind of real estate no, for right. a messianic figure?
1: It's true, and I once heard, and I have no way to verify this, but that the Jehovah's Witnesses have a an apartment somewhere in Lower Manhattan, in case so when Jesus returns. He'll have a place to stay. Cause On he got the Lower a, East Side or something? Yeah. <laughs> he's a <an laughs> Jewish immigrant, you know. Uh, but I, I think it's a, you know, listen, if you believe this stuff, if you believe he is going to return, why not have a place for him? Like, you don't want him staying right. at a hotel. You want him at, like, a place where you, so it's good. Planning ahead. Reincarnation and real estate. Yeah. The, the combo. It sounds like a good business opportunity. Yeah. And I would like to meet the guy who like, you know, did the interior design for Jesus's apartment. Like, what do you what do you put in there? Like, <laughs> does he want the tech? Does he want like D V D players or, or does he get a stream?
0: Filled with water. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Would you go
1: that way? It's a good question.
0: Yeah. So I read my year of living biblically, but as I mentioned, my memory isn't so fresh. So I'd rather than stumble through what I remember, I'd prefer that you tell the listeners a bit about it because it was a fascinating book. Well,
1: thank you, Danny. Yeah, that it came about because I grew up with no religion at all. I say in the book, I'm Jewish in the same way the Olive Garden is Italian. Mm -hmm. So not very. And I wanted to learn, I had a kid, I wanted to learn about my heritage. And I thought one way might be to dive in and live the Bible, like learn it from the inside out, walk in the footsteps of our forefathers. And so I did, I decided to read the whole Bible and write down every single rule that I could find, which turned out to, as you know, be a buttload of rule like hundreds of rules <laughs> and i decided it'd be interesting to try to follow them all so the famous ones like the 10 commandments and love your neighbor but also the the like the obscure ones like <laughs> don't shave the corners of your beard yeah i didn't know where the corners were so i just let the whole thing grow and i had this that, topiary nobody knows that's why the Hasidim have exactly yeah. that's right they play it safe too yeah it's all about playing it safe um and yeah, as you probably know, in Leviticus it says he cannot wear clothes made of mixed fibers. So right, I got to get right. rid of all my poly cotton blends. So, I mean, and then there are ones uh, like in. It says several times, Deuteronomy and Leviticus, that you have to stone adulterers to death. So, uh, yeah. I figured I should at least try to stone adulterers. And <laughs> I used pebbles. That's how I got around that.
0: Well, they say uh, also in the Bible that embarrassment is akin to murder. So, mm. if you at least embarrass them, you stone them to
1: death. There you go. Yeah. Although I was embarrassed doing it. so, <laughs> so you, that? that's suicide. I was, yeah, I was killing myself. <laughs> exactly. Uh,
0: but I thought it was interesting at the end of the book that you were much happier.
1: Yeah, I think, well, part of it was to find out, uh, are there parts of religion that I'm missing? And I, and I did conclude there are some parts of religion that I like and that can make your life better. Some parts I am, I still think are bad for the world. Um, the parts I like, there's one, uh, one of my spiritual advisors broke it up. He said there are three Bs to religion, belief belonging and behavior so believe mm-hmm. in god belonging to a community like that supports you and behavior can be just acting ethically thinking of others not being a dick um uh, and doing yeah. the rituals too so i love i love the rituals i love the um belonging to a community we we are with a synagogue mm-hmm. i still uh don't have that first one the belief uh, i know you are a believer so i'm, I'm interested believer. to talk about that but the other uh, b is
0: belittling uh <laughs> That's the fourth thing. (laughs) Belittle
1: anyone who does not agree with
0: you 100%. That Uh, one you're not supposed to do, but sometimes people do it anyway. That
1: is true. Yes, that is one of the downsides. There's a lot of downsides to religion, as well as the good sides.
0: Yeah, but I I look at it like any other construct that, you know, when falling into the wrong hands is going to be lousy.
1: That is true. I agree. It's like, a you know, it's a tool, and it can be used for good, like the civil rights movement or it can be used for evil, and right. many examples of that.
0: Anything where there's money to be made is going to get messed up, and you have to go back to the pure form of it.
1: Yeah, well, I yeah, the money part is, I mean, the fact that churches aren't taxed is insane to me. You know, I remember uh, the one of my favorite movies growing up was Foul Play, mm-hmm. and I think the plot, unless I'm making it up, was that someone was trying to, uh, there was a radical group trying to tax churches and they were going to assassinate a bishop or something. Mm-hmm. And I, like the older I get, they were like, those guys were right. <laughs> I mean, I don't approve of assassinating bishops, but man, that is... Think we could solve so many problems with the amount of money that would bring in. If you taxed them. Yeah, tax. So that's my social justice cause (laughs) that I will never do anything about except complain and belittle. I'll just belittle.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, belittling is on both sides. You know, I was thinking about it this morning how I have friends who are like staunch atheists, uh, secular uh, Jews that I love, but they're so like. Anti-religious Jews, and it and uh, and then I have friends who are religious Jews, and uh, they're just so anti-like, not so much secular Jews, but they're anti-show business. Mm. And they like they, they think it's like all really? this stuff is just like you know just total nonsense. Interesting, and uh, so. I I think it's you know, it's a shame. I, I think I'm strong on both sides. You know, yeah. I'm like
1: uh, Well I gotta say, if you're a Jew who doesn't like show business, that's gonna be tough. Yeah, because there's they so just, many they Jews. they just
0: see it as like uh, you know, the undoing of uh, of the holiness of the world, you know, coming out of Hollywood and it it always irks me because so much good comes out of Hollywood too. And right. It's just such a just to collect it all and say it's all garbage and it's all ruining yeah. of society in America. It's the same thing they say about religion, and uh, it's just such polarized opinions. And you, you know, it's it's America now, unfortunately, is that people don't know how to uh, explore the
1: gray areas anymore. I agree with that a hundred percent. Yeah, I think that we definitely. I mean, that was part of the reason for doing this book on family was trying to point out... Let's plug the name of the book, by the way. Ah, oh, sure. Thanks. It's called It's All Relative. That's true. It's All Relative. And the idea there was I was helping to build the biggest family tree ever. Yeah. Millions of people. And eventually, in like a decade, we'll have a family tree of everyone on Earth. And so the idea was to try to break down tribalism, which I think is a huge problem mm-hmm. affecting America, the world now, And try to remind us that we're all, like, we share 99.9% of our DNA. It's just insane. And uh, so, yeah, the idea of, um, as you say, there are lots of grays. Right. And uh, let's try to be aware of those.
0: Do you think that if tribalism were to dissipate, new kinds of community constructs would
1: come up? I do. I mean, I think we are... As a hum- as a species, we are kind of built to be somewhat tribal, like the, uh, you know, us versus them, the in-group, out-group. My hope is that it would be um, as low as possible. Like, you can have a community right. or you can have a tribe. But I would say, I mean, the ideal world to me would be that you are not assigned a tribe when you're born. You're not like...
0: You choose a tribe.
1: Yeah, you choose a tribe. And the tribes could be about, like, you know, my son loves Pokemon, so there should be a Pokemon tribe. And there you There
0: probably have, is one.
1: You're right. I don't know why I said there should be. There is, and he's in it. Yeah. Um So those are the kind of tribes I think we should, like the kind of tribes where, you know, you are assigned to be. But of course what will happen is the people who have kids
0: from the Pokemon tribe are going to want to indoctrinate their kids in Pokemonism. And uh, and you'll be back to square one. That is
1: that is a problem. Maybe it should be like The Giver. This uh, do you ever read that book? It's like a sci-fi book. My my kid no. read yeah. and it's all about like uh, babies are just put up for lottery, and like you're just assigned. Uh, there is no real family, so maybe that's the solution. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so no, eventually we don't even get to keep our kids.
1: Yeah. Then, exactly. then people
0: are going to be crying as they're parted with their children mm-hmm. and go. You know what? Let's bring back tribalism.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it is funny because, I mean, the kibbutz in Israel, they tried to get rid of sort of the the traditional family and have this communal kids. Uh And from what I've read... It didn't work out so well. Yeah, they're people, back to people like, really like their kids. So they w- do. I, would you like want to be parted with your kids? You know what? I I think uh, I would. I yeah. <laughs> I will tell you though, I think about it a lot because I am totally irrational and. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if I were given the choice between like saving my kid versus saving ten strangers, you know, across the world in Cambodia. I would just kill those 10 other people. Well,
0: essentially, you have chosen that because you do invest lots of money and effort into your kid while those kids are dying. Not even 10, but millions. Exactly. No, I once
1: did an article on like um, this, the Peter Singer, the philosopher. Have you ever done him on the show? I don't remember. He is very much into basically it's like liberal guilt times Uh 8,000 because he believes that we are basically murdering people right now. Like, you and I have blood on our hands because we could be saving all these starving people, and the reason we don't is because of they are distant and they're yeah. not in our face. Yeah. Like so, but he He's says, right. I mean, he's
0: essentially right. I mean, the, the out of sight, out of mind thing is one of the, you know, I just came back to New York. I'm from New York. It, with the rare exceptions of like my parents and uh, my brothers, I forget that everyone here exists. <laughs> I really do. And then I come back, and everybody is so happy to see me, which was which was very nice. It made me feel great. And then I had this moment where I was like, oh, man. I forget I I left all these people here, you know? <laughs> and how happy they make me when I see them. Uh, but if I'm not here for a little while, it's just like they're in a compartment
1: far away in my mind. That is know. interesting. You're I think you're right. Yeah. You yeah. kind of just forget. And and that's why we can I actually once thought of doing an article that I never did, but that would try to shrink that distance so that ever like you would have in your face at all times a little TV screen like attached to your head where you would see be like, maddening. <laughs> a refugee camp in yeah. Like, uh, yeah, you, know, I, I, you know, in Syria and see people start It'd be horrible, yeah. It'd be horrible. And you could, like, go in and try to buy your Frappuccino from Starbucks, and you're like, they're like, I I could use that $3 to eat. Yeah. Like, how would you
0: I, deal I, with everyone that? Everyone would feel so guilty. They'd start sending all their money to them. Then they'd be getting Starbucks over
1: there, and we'd be like, <laughs> hey. I like that idea, though. Maybe it's time. Give them some Starbucks.
0: Can can you guys throw a little bit back here? They're like, no, 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 we're still developing as a country. Sorry.
1: (laughs) I like your idea.
0: It's time. (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting. It's like global opportunity cost. You take the opportunity to raise your kids here at the cost of not helping them. Oh, yeah. And that's endless. Like when you start looking at all the things you could be doing, Ultimately, you'd be stuck doing nothing.
1: Oh, yeah, I know. It is a, a paralyzing. But I will put, I want to put in a plug for it because you can get overwhelmed with the guilt and be like, I am just a terrible person. But there are things you can do that, uh, and guilt is maybe not the best emotion because it is a little paralyzing. Mm-hmm. Instead, I prefer to think like everyone can be a hero, like everyone can run into a burning building and get a baby. Just by giving ten percent of your income, oh that's that's biblical. it is biblical, yeah, so I still do that. And I give to this there are a couple of great organizations, like um the Life You Can Save or um Effective Altruism. and they're sort of the scientific way of. Uh, finding the best places where you can save people for the least amount of money.
0: Oh, cool. That's so really good. That's
1: my plug. Effective altruism. What other oil.
0: biblical things have you kept on since the book?
1: Well, I, you know, as you can see, I shaved my beard. Although I do have it right in this room. The oh, beard yeah. is in that cabinet. If you uh, <laughs> you uh, can, paste it, I can paste it back on. I could paste it on. Weirdly, I've had a few readers request, like, souvenir tufts and i have sent them because i'm like what am i
0: yeah why not you could always grow more
1: yeah (laughs) (laughs) um so that i've kept i've i've definitely kept a lot um one of the big uh themes is gratitude so it said to in the bible be grateful all the time so i really actually that's life changing isn't it it is it is and um and I'll give you, like, like, I tried to, while I was doing it, I'd be like, you know, I'd be, press the elevator button, and I'd be grateful the elevator came, and I would, uh, in a reasonable time, I'd get in the elevator, I'd be thankful it didn't plummet to the basement and break my collarbone. So, you, you were doing hundreds of these every day, and it was, as you say, life-changing Because you realize there are hundreds of things that go right every day that we take for granted and we focus on the three or four that go wrong. So I love that. And actually it inspired the book that I'm finishing right now, which is where I take a cup of coffee and I go around the world and try to thank every person personally face to face who helped.
0: Yes, I read about that. Very interesting. I'm excited. Uh, I like the... uh, Where have you been so far?
1: Well, I went to Columbia and uh, at South America and thanked the folks there. Uh, I, I went to uh, like a th- 100 miles north to where the New York Reservoir is uh-huh. and thanked them. Because to me, <laughs> that is one of the craziest things is that we can turn on our faucet and yeah. have this water. It's like a miracle. It is yeah. totally like a miracle. And, and it's not without sacrifice. I mean, those people 100 years ago they had all these towns and churches and cemeteries, and New York needed water, so we just flooded the plain. Like, that's it. Yeah. And they got kicked out. They have not forgotten. They <laughs> held a grudge, so they are. So it's nice to go up and thank them for their, you know, for their sacrifice.
0: Yeah. Um, Do you know uh, my buddy Mark Malkoff? Are you familiar? I with I love who? Mark Malkoff. Yeah? yeah. He went around to every Starbucks in one day and had a cup of coffee.
1: I remember that it was a great one yeah. in Manhattan. Yeah. I don't know how he did it. He like timed it brilliantly and scientifically. <laughs> I feel somewhere between
0: you and what he did. There's a <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> There's some kind of connection with with, with coffee and uh,
1: gratitude. No. And, yes. uh Yeah. No. I
0: yes, obsession.
1: I, I am thankful he did that because he is a very funny uh, and he's got great videos on online. If yes. You check him out. Like he lived for a week in uh, IKEA. I'm I am a big fan of his and he also had a children's show, uh, live children's show that was brilliant. So yeah, the uh, two juice minimum. That's right, two juice minimum. Yes. Were you ever on it?
0: No, oh. but I know about it. That was so, great. Yeah. So you, you get into these obsessive things, and you go real. So we, we only talked for a second about your child, and we got distracted, and probably my fault, but we talked about you sneaking around the Scientology building. Right. So this kind of is like a, a beginnings to this curiosity. Of, uh, yeah, of,
1: that's the way I feel. And I also... It's extreme curiosity. I, I do. I love... There's a quote I once interviewed Alex Trebek for a magazine article. First of all, he's like the pottiest mouth. He's like he's like a hip hop star, like motherfucking fucking like, bullshit.
0: Maybe because he's had to hold it in for so long.
1: Exactly. I think he was also trying to like you know. Get some street cred or whatever. It's the
0: Bob Saget effect. Exactly.
1: It is very Bob Saget-ish. Yeah. So, um, yeah, aside from his dirty mouth, he he did have a quote that I always remember where he said, I am curious about everything in the world, even those things that are not interesting to me at all, which Hmm. I love because I do love trying. Like, even this finding the history of water, like when I first started to uh research it, I was like, I could not care less about the history of water. Uh And then the more I got into it, like I could now like, you know, (laughs) listen for that was actually one of my proudest moments was writing the Year of Living Biblically. And I was interviewing other religious groups and I invited a Jehovah's Witness to come over to this apartment. Uh Um I had to like call them because they don't usually do knock door knocking in New York. So, he came Uh over and I out-talked, I out-Bible-talked a Jehovah's Witness. (laughs) After like three hours, uh, he looked at his watch, he's like, I gotta go. I can't talk about this anymore.
0: You know what I'm remembering now is that your global family reunion Everybody working there was Mormon. (laughs) (laughs) You harnessed the free
1: power of Mormonism. I definitely was hooked into Mormonism for a little there, because they are obsessed with genealogy Uh uh, for for theological reasons. They think that you have to know your family lineage to be happy in the afterlife. I thought you
0: just did it for the free labor. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, I did <laughs> yeah. absolutely. Yeah, my, they were volunteering. It was unbelievable.
0: My brother Josh had this brilliant idea years ago, which was to start a company called More Manpower.
1: <laughs> and just and Mormon working.
0: Mormon power. And basically, what he would do is he charges for like you want to have your house painted or whatever. You pay my brother a, a lower rate than you'd pay painters. Then he goes up to Mormons and says, "Hey." You guys want to do a good deed? Go paint that house, <laughs> and then <they laughs> he,
1: he harnesses Mormon power. That is very smart. <laughs> I like that, and they are they are incredibly organized, and they you know they live up to their stereotype of being nice. So it could yeah. be good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean i i've I've thought of the same idea, but with working out. Like, you know, get people. Because there are all these people working out and wasting all this energy. on. Oh, like, I've thought
0: spaceship. that too. Yeah, that's yeah. crazy. Like, why are these people exerting themselves and not
1: producing anything? Exactly. So yeah. make them, like, your workout as you go and build, help build a homeless shelter for oh, an hour.
0: So funny and, that you said that because I just yesterday told my brother, because I'm always coming up with ideas along the, the line of what you could do with People working out the energy, Ah, the exertion in gyms. Because for a long time I didn't like the gym. Now I kind of like the gym because I'm started working out. But I was just always thought this is so archaic to see so much energy going into no productivity except for personal, you know, you know, fitness, whatever. Right. So, I'm always coming up with ideas, uh, and I won't go back to yours in a second, but I just because you triggered it, I got excited. Yesterday, I told my brother, who's a chef, the same one with more manpower, that he should open up a restaurant called Breakeven. And it's a gym, (laughs) but everything you do, uh, the more every calorie you burn off, you're allowed to reabsorb. And at the same time as you work out, you're making the meal because, like, if you're on the bike, it's attached to a mixer. Uh, it's if, if you're on a uh, treadmill, you know it's a it's attached to a peeler, you know, right? like a potato peeler, and and you have like a food processor one, and there's all, a butter churning one. There's all these different. I'm in. <laughs> Tell me where to invest. <laughs> I then, love this. And then when you're done working out, you only get the exact amount of calories that you burned off. Right. Uh, from the kitchen that's ingenious yeah is he gonna do it he was just cracking up at the idea but i don't think Uh, we mostly don't do anything we just
1: talk about it hopefully one of the (laughs) listeners will steal your idea because it's a brilliant one i love it thank you and um yeah it kind of reminds oh what was i gonna you were
0: gonna tell me about your gym idea
1: I know. And what was it? I had one, but now your brilliance has, uh, has overshadowed. I apologize.
0: No, that I, is
1: quite okay.
0: I'll continue on about my idea as you think about yours. Okay. I just think it's funny if somebody doesn't work out too much, but they're hungry. And at the end, they only just get a little ketchup.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Listen, that's what they've been. Oh, I do remember. I remember researching. Uh, I once wrote a column for a magazine. Um, and the theme was basically the, uh, the good old days sucked, and that life was really horrible 100 years ago, which mm-hmm. I believe very strongly. And, uh, but one of them was about exercise, and the origin of the treadmill was that it was in British jails. The prisoners were made to go on the treadmill Like for six hours, it was it was ruled as cruel and unusual punishment in like 1901 and outlawed. And now people pay like you know, (laughs) and now you have one sitting right next to. And now I have one right here, which I do go on every day. So I'm a prisoner. I am my own warden and prisoner. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. (laughs) Isn't that funny? But you know, it's it's also a nice perspective on when you think about the negative aspects of life and how like something that you could perceive as terrible may actually be excellent. And this was once like a torturous thing. Right Now people pay high monthly premiums to go and use them.
1: Exactly. I'm a big fan of reframing. I have in one of my books, I talk about, um, you know, I was being, uh, I was trying to be less annoyed. Like that was sort of the theme. And I was, uh, I got stopped at airport security and they, you know, did my pat down Uh and I made a conscious choice and I'm like, objectively, it's a person touching my body, which is, the same as a massage. So I'm going to reframe this yeah. like, and just try to get into it and be like, all right, this <laughs> is a massage. I'm getting a free massage. It's great. It's not so bad. And it made it so much less stressful. Yeah. <laughs> so I agree with you. It's a lot about your perspective.
0: Yeah. Most things are, are good. In fact, I believe all things are good. And I had this thought the other day. I was thinking, I believe in God. And, what do I, and and my understanding of God, while it's more complex than what I'm about to say, is that it's pure goodness. God, God isn't a human in any way. God is, is an energy. God is, you know, a connectivity, but, but uh, it, it's a creative force that's only good. Mm. And then it says, in the Bible, as you read, that man is created in the image of God. So right. that got me thinking that would make man only good, right? Man can right. only be good if if man was created in the image of pure good. So then I was thinking, that means that everything everybody ever does has to come from a good place. And I started thinking about it, and it and it works out. Like Hitler was coming from a good place. Like Hitler wanted to create a perfect society with no genetic flaws with a great economy with uh with you know right. with lots of everyone having lots of space and land his execution is obviously what we know as evil but it took his brain tricking him to believe that he was coming from a good place everybody ha- who has ever done anything wrong has justified it
1: well all right I'm not going to, I feel that I can take a stand and say that I think that Hitler was a bad guy. I am going to take that Uh, stand. (laughs) But I I will say uh, there are a couple of things that occur to me. One is the idea that everyone believes they are doing good. I agree with that. But I agree, I think, that some moral systems create much happiness, and some moral systems create much pain, like the Taliban. They think they're doing good, right. they are like, you know.
0: But the- they couldn't exist if they didn't believe they were good. So it, it really works out to the equation that everybody is created in the image of God, God being pure good. And it, the only way to, to def- defy that is to pervert your idea of good. But you cannot actually want to do bad unless you think that bad is good. That's an Well,
1: it, mm, I, it's an interesting one. I think that the vast majority of people do think that they're doing good. I think there is a small percentage of sadists who actually get pleasure from other people's pain. But what are they doing?
0: They're getting pleasure, which is good. You know, well, it depends beings, how you
1: define good. Like They are getting personal pleasure at the expense of massive pain around them. Right, but so, they're
0: justifying it because... In the same way that somebody who's sick, who needs medication, you know, or or takes drugs, self-medicates. Right. They're like, I need this. I'm hurting. I need to feel better. So in their mind, they're really being their
1: own best doctor. So they're doing good for themselves. Well, but it also, some people know that their actions may give them happiness, but will inflict great pain on others. Well,
0: I'm not saying people are oblivious to, to the bad that they do. I'm just saying that they can't do
1: it without operating from a place that has to be good. Right. That's an interesting point. I mean, the thing is, I think where we differ is, I don't buy the very first part of your premise. Right. Where that But you don't need God, to buy it
0: for, for the for the second part. You don't need to to, to, to it doesn't have to come from the same place to come to the same conclusion. You know what I mean?
1: Well, I would say, here's, I don't believe that God is, I, since I don't believe in God, I don't believe God is the manifestation of everything good. And I don't believe humans were built in God's image. So, from there. Right, right. I, what? But,
0: but, but you can still take the second part as a standalone.
1: I can, yeah, well, I can believe that most people, the vast majority of time, believe they are doing good, uh, but I think that, that uh, many times they're mistaken. Um, and I will say, I have a much more, I think people are so hugely flawed that if God did make them in his image, then God needs some serious work, like he needs a makeover if, uh, if we are in his image.
0: I don't know. I mean, I don't know God.
1: I don't claim to know God. I just try to understand the concept. I did have this interesting debate with my kids because uh, whenever I think of God, I think it's Santa Claus because I feel they're (laughs) similar, like uh, all knowing, powerful. Like, I think Santa Claus is like a morally corrupt, horrible. Like, if he does have, he has the ability to go at incredible speeds. And He seems to have almost unlimited resources to make stuff. So the fact that he's giving, like, Xboxes to people here in New York and L.A., Mm -hmm. instead of delivering food and medicine to Puerto Rico or to, like, uh, you know, Uganda, it's like, what the fuck is your problem, Santa? Well, maybe they were naughty. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great point. Everyone in developing countries is naughty and deserves exactly what they get. I love it. Excellent argument. Thank you. It's
0: flawless. It is flawless. I Um, want to know why Santa Claus
1: is overweight. hmm. That's interesting. Well, I think it has a very, I mean, he's good for the overweight community because he's got a very positive vibe, like the jolly. I think that's, uh,
0: do you, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. That's a whole nother conversation, whether or not I think he's good for the overweight community. I think the overweight community, as one who is part of this quote-unquote community that doesn't exist, just because, <laughs> because overweight people don't commune, because they all, every overweight person thinks, I'm only temporarily overweight, and I'm not, I'm not joining that group. Right. Uh, but- I think that the whole idea of jovial overweight people undermines the serious problem behind uh, the addiction of overeating. And I think in order to get overweight, as somebody who is overweight, you have to be out of touch with your body, and that takes some deep emotional pain. And in the same way that you would medicate with drugs, uh, drugs are 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 generally bad for you. There are you know arguments for some drugs, but Heroin and and drugs like this uh, are destructive and bad for you and make your body deteriorate. Right. And a person doesn't want to deteriorate themselves unless they're out of touch with themselves.
1: Interesting. Well, let me ask you this. Do you think, because I've actually, I just recently thought about this, like, that Jesus, a lot of the depictions of him on the cross, like, he has got abs, like he's got washboard abs, and that could be bad for body image. It's like I don't have Jesus's body, whereas Buddha, like that's more realistic. I'm like, you know, getting to be a Buddha. So, do you think that people can be like Buddha seemed quite happy and wise? Do you think you can be overweight, and and happy, or do you think it always signifies some problem?
0: I think that. You can be I think I'm overweight and happy in that I go back to the uh, thing I said that I'm only temporarily overweight at this point I feel uh whereas I never i used to think it I used to identify as an overweight person. I now no longer do I think you know i'm I'm losing the weight, but I'm not losing it in a way where I feel like it's dire and I have to be on this diet or that diet. I'm losing it only because I've completely lost interest. In uh, in food as medication. Interesting. So I've uh, I'm eating in a normal, healthy way. I'm in touch with my body for the first time in maybe my whole life that I can remember, and uh, and I'm o- I'm eating until I'm satisfied and I'm done, and I'm I don't have cravings to eat anymore because I don't have that void inside of me anymore. You can be temporarily happy as an overweight person, or you could be happy drugged up on anything. Mm, true, um, but. There's still a part of you that's needing work.
1: Right. Yeah. See, I don't know this the science behind it well enough. Um, my totally lay and uninformed uh, view was that some people just have a metabolism that makes them overweight, and it's like that they, that they shouldn't be blamed. It's not something, uh, there's some sort of moral judgment often when people are overweight. Like, yeah, you that, can't control a, yourself. That,
0: that's also wrong. Moral, yeah, it's not about... Well, can they control themselves? Probably not, but it's not their fault, generally. It's like blaming somebody who was was like uh, cut for bleeding. Mm-hmm. You know it's 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 a really messed up thing to do right.
1: I agree one hundred percent. I mean, I am kind of radical in this sense that uh, I don't believe in free will. And since it's a philosophy podcast, I feel it's. I all mean, right to-
0: you 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 can believe whatever you want
1: to believe. But- <laughs> so I believe basically we like we're like meat robots, and we are you know programmed to do something. We have an illusion of free will. We, um, but that, uh, you know, people could not have done otherwise. That doesn't mean we shouldn't have a society that punishes people, but punishment should all be about reform and uh and not being like you know let's torture this guy because he's an asshole i agree with that i mean
0: i don't agree with the no free will part but i do believe that most people who i do going back to i do believe everybody comes from a good place and when somebody does a bad thing it's because some part of them is inherently broken uh, and you should be working to fix it rather than punishing them for being broken,
1: right. Now. Yeah, that's what right. I mean, you've heard those stories of people who, like, have a um, uh, like a, a tumor on the brain that makes you know turns them into pedophiles there are like documented cases of that to me like that's everyone we all have a tumor that makes
0: us do something hopefully not
1: (laughs) everyone is a pedophile that's my
0: (laughs) (laughs) do they say that when they scan you like uh i've got bad news for you have a tumor and they go oh it's horrible well it gets worse (laughs) it's uh it's gonna it's developing into a pedophilia tumor That Uh, is, yes. A month from now, you're going to find that kid in the waiting room very attractive.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Can you imagine that? Like, that would be so, I mean, it's interesting to think that might happen. You might be able to do that. Um, And then another moral philosophical, I heard an interview with some woman about, like, the morality of robots. And, like, what is the morality of having um, child sex robots? Like, is that good, because then the pedophiles won't actually have sex with real children, or is that just too gross to even think about?
0: I don't think either of those options are the answer. The question is, like, what is behind this pedophilia that, that's not being addressed? Like... It's got to come from some emotional deficiency or some kind of abuse, I would think. Or, or the um, tumor. What if it's the tumor? Or the tumor. The tumor. Well, it, I mean, I guess if it's the tumor, <laughs> there should be special pedophilia tumor robots. Because so in learn. that case, you know. Right. But I do think that somebody who's got such a, um, what we would call a perverse obsession. Right. It comes out of something having happened to them. I believe
1: that's often the case. Um, and, I don't know empirically whether it helped. Like, I once read a fascinating book about sexual uh, deviation and perversion, and and they profiled one guy who had such an intense foot fetish that he said, like, when the weather came on and they say we're predicting two and a half feet of snow, like he would. Getting crazy, like he'd get this <laughs> raging erection. Like just the word foot was like enough to send him. And the the author, who I don't agree with, but it was uh because it's an it's kind of an insane point. But he was saying these people suffering from these perversions are like that is the only way that they can get sexual satisfaction. Mm-hmm. So the fact that someone like only uh, molests one child like it makes him some sort of impressive. Uh, he's like got great self restraint. I mean, it's such a disturbing way to look at the world, and I can't get behind it. But it was really <laughs> fascinating to read about.
0: Yeah, I think it must. It it should really be addressed in a way of of trying to heal these people rather than trying to because. You know, thank God I don't have pedophilic impulses.
1: I think about that all the time, too. I mean, you ever think how lucky you are in that way? Yeah, Uh, I am lucky. Like, my perversions are very mild. And uh, I am so grateful because... I remember having
0: a joke about this early on in stand-up, and it never went. Let me hear it. Because I don't remember, but I just remember trying to make a joke off that premise. And as soon as you said the word pedophilia... People were not with you. That's a tough one. Um,
1: that is a tough one.
0: But but just the idea that you aren't a pedophile is. Can uh, put that on your thank you list every day of what to be grateful for. It is so true. And and then for somebody, I have to imagine that someone who does have that impairment, okay, we'll call it. Um, how sad it must be for that person to have this thing that they're so shamed about about themselves. I'm talking about someone who's never even acted on it, but who has to live with that shame every day, and there's nowhere for them to healthfully talk about it. Uh, They'd probably be terrified, I would imagine, to even bring that up. Totally. And, And there should be help available to these people, and it should be available in a way that they don't have to feel ashamed to get it.
1: Yeah, like, well, it's interesting. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. If you treat it more as a sickness, it might be better for society. I mean, I often think about, I was on a movie podcast I told you recently, um, and I chose A Clockwork Orange as the movie. And if uh, you remember, yeah. they gave him this horrible treatment where they made him watch right. we, violence. And, we actually
0: just did an episode about Clockwork Orange on on this podcast. Really? It has not yet aired, but yes.
1: Oh, that's interesting. I want yeah. to hear. Yeah. But I'm like you know what maybe the ludovico treatment has some if it would work i mean i think i'd be okay with alex being uh subjected to feeling nauseous every time he thinks of doing violence to women
0: yeah but i i don't think it's good in the way that i think you're not actually getting to the core of the problem for me like i had to undo a lot of things to get to the core of the problem of why i was eating in an emotional way i had to go through years of therapy and Mm. finally little by little like like grains of sand on a scale, I was able to tip the emotional scale, um, to the point where I felt one day, oh wow, that went away. That's great. And and hopefully, you know, So how I, has I can, it
1: changed like on a day to day basis for you?
0: It's an incredible change. I I've I've never been happier. I haven't been depressed in ages. I, I don't uh and and a lot of it has to do with gratitude and a lot of it has to do with going through things that I dealt with uh in younger years in therapy that i'm not so interested in broadcasting but um <laughs> just personal things that i dealt with that i didn't realize what effect they had on me and coming to terms with them and understanding myself better from the inside out and and also being accepting the fact that i can change was a huge thing for me like just identifying as a fat person um makes you believe that that's what you are but as soon as i think one of the best things for me was leaving new york because when i got to la i had a total identity crisis i no longer had my podcast my original podcast which i everybody knew me for and it was like something to be proud of and some something to make me feel accomplished i didn't have it and there was and it was gone and the other members had gone other places and it was over uh, I was in a new city where no one knew me. I couldn't get any stage time. So my identity as a stand-up comic was gone. I was like, what am I calling myself a stand-up comic? I can barely get on stage. And after all these years of doing it, it it, it seems to have had no effect on this coast at all. I can't get, get anywhere. So I'm not a podcaster. I'm not a stand-up comedian. I no longer was single all of a sudden. I was living with my wife. You know, Everything that I identified with uh, that cre- that. Combined and created my identity, except for the fact that I was fat. Oh, and I started becoming an observant Jew. So I wasn't like this secular. Everything that was my identity no longer was my identity. That is a big change. And and I was like, it was it it, it put me into a severe depression at first, but then in retrospect, what it did for me was it allowed me to believe and understand that identity is a construct of our own doing. You know, we don't, as we identify, you identify as an author and as this this and that. and You can identify as anything. And if you work hard enough to believe it, you will be that thing.
1: I love that, yeah. I think that uh, I agree with you. And also, this is sort of related to what you were saying. One of the the big lessons I've learned from my books, these experiments I've done is that if you want to change your identity, uh, you should act in a certain way. Just how powerful the outer is for changing the inner. So, like even something like uh, I once did an experiment where I uh, I tried to be the best husband possible because uh, I put my wife through a lot. And so I forced myself every day to buy her a little trinket, like, you know, a magnet or a, like a little soap smelling like guava, whatever, mm-hmm. for like two bucks. And by giving that gift to her every day, it tricked my mind. And I'm like, oh, my God, I love my wife so much, which I do. Yeah. But it made me love her more. Just the actions. So this idea of it's easier to to act your way into a new way of thinking than to think your way into a new way of acting. Yes. So to me, that was very powerful in, uh, in, in like, you are not assigned an identity, you can change, and one of the best tools for changing is to pretend. Yeah. And then you will become that.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. Identity is so malleable, it's, it's insane. It is, and and, I agree. And what you did was like operating on two levels. One, you were changing your behavior, and two, you were giving. And that's the other powerful thing that I discovered is the more you give, the better you feel. It's just the the only—I had this argument with somebody. I go to uh, pray at this synagogue most mornings. I love it. It's like a a meditation to start the day. And this—not even a friend, somebody who I met for the first time at a dinner table told me I would never go pray there again because every few minutes somebody comes up to you and asks for money. And I said, that's why I like to pray there, because you know the 10%, you know, you're supposed to give 10%. I started doing that. Right. I'm like, it's so it couldn't be easier. They're making this so easy for me. These it's like I don't have to go out and look for people who need money. They're coming to me. (laughs) So it's like I'm getting to give while I pray. It makes the prayer feel better. Mm, I like that. It's money that I was put aside to give anyway. So I, I said, if you don't like to give, I get it. But if you like to give, then what? It's like me coming to your place. It couldn't be easier.
1: Like you <laughs> agree. Well, and there is documented psychological. They call it the warm glow effect. I believe, and from that you get. We are programmed to get pleasure from doing something altruistic. I mean, evolutionarily, like it helps people close to you, so you preserve your DNA. Yeah. So yeah, I agree. I mean that was. I have this crazy uncle who, uh, he's an ex-uncle, actually. He married my aunt. Uh, I thought you just disowned him. (laughs) No. Well, my family would like to. I mean, he was not, he had a cult. He had his own cult in upstate New York where people lived in yurts. And he didn't talk for six years. He just like commanded with his eyes. But anyway, then he became a Hasidic Jew and he hangs out in by the western wall and uh straps to fill in on. He hangs out. <laughs> he does. Okay. He hangs out there all day long. Yeah. Like you know, can I he he comes up to people, he's like, Can I take your spiritual blood pressure? Which is his uh-huh. way of, of like to fill in where you wrap sure, the yeah, leather I, on. I know him, yeah. Uh so anyway, he uh he, I think what a lot of he's well, a lot of what he says is insane because he is, you know, crazy. Like he'll uh-huh. uh, he'll like someone told me he had Shabbat dinner, he like brought out a gun and started waving it. So he's kind of nuts. <laughs> uh but yeah. yeah. The one thing he said that really resonated with me is like, when you're depressed, go find someone who's in a similar or worse state and help them. And you will feel better. Yes. And I've always thought of that. Like when I'm depressed, I'm like, you know what? The best way to get out of my mind and stop, you know, wallowing it's, is like to try to help someone else. And it, it, I found it effective. It's very effective. It's
0: 100% true. And I, you know, I work every week with kids in, uh, in rehab that uh, have uh, severe drug addictions and suicidal ideations and... It's amazing cuz we have this group where we sit around and we do a podcast that nobody can hear because of HIPAA laws unfortunately. I wish people could hear it cuz I I think it would help lots of kids who don't get the luxury of going to rehab hmm. but um but anyway, um the amazing thing I found is that every single one of them while they all feel like they're helpless at least initially when they get to the rehab, they're all 100% ready to help the other ones who they they're like, you know, at, in the podcast. We talk about something, they go, Oh, this is what you should do. I go, Do you do that? No. <laughs> I go, but <laughs> how, but you're able to identify what you should be doing for you when you're when you're looking at somebody else because you're able to give to another person and and in doing that, they are helping themselves. They right. they get happier as they're able to cheer the other
1: person up with their advice. That's so that is so interesting. Yeah. Sometimes you can't even see. The nose in front of your face. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, I will say, I'm, exci- I'm a listener and a fan of your podcast, so I am dying to know who my assigned philosopher is i have been and, a,
0: and we will get to that in
1: just a second <laughs> all right i didn't want to <laughs> but, rush it no I just but wanna,
0: I, I do want to ask you do, uh i didn't get to ask much about your childhood Did, are you an only child are
1: you i have a sister older two and a half years she lives in new york she um she lives two up store floors down from my parents in their uh building that we grew up in oh wow and um yeah she, so, didn't, she didn't
0: get too far away huh well, how, far. how far away are you?
1: I'm like a half mile. Okay. I'm across the park, so I'm they, I'm a, the real rebel. They, yeah,
0: they yeah. must have done a good job raising you guys to keep you this close. You know.
1: I know. I think about that all the time. I'm like I'm terrified that my kids are gonna. But you know what? By the time they get to the age of moving out, like we'll all have, be having virtual reality dinners anyway, so they could live. <laughs> can't man do, and it won't matter. That's we'll not
0: just... the same because if you get in an argument, they could just tap out and disappear from the table.
1: <laughs> Maybe that's <laughs> not a bad thing though.
0: Well, then you never work out the whole thing. Yeah, get, I guess you know, so. You never get to that Full House moment at the end of it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> they love Full House, by the way. Oh, really? Yeah, it's funny. What are your
0: folks? What did they do?
1: My dad is a lawyer, and uh, one thing I admire is two things. well, several things. He loves his job. He find like most lawyers don't but he loves it he loves mentoring people which i think is lovely Mm -hmm. and he's also got some weird quirks like he is very proud that he wrote the law review article with the most footnotes of anyone (laughs) on earth like uh 4812 is his official record wow and it is um you know it is an accomplishment it is uh an absurd accomplishment, yeah. but it is an accomplishment, and I, I respect him for that.
0: And what about your mom? What is it?
1: My mom was uh, a teacher. She now does jewelry. Um, she was a science teacher for middle grade, and actually, she had an excellent strategy that because uh, she would teach science through food, and mm. you know, kids love their sugar, so it would be like she. Different types of rock, like igneous or um, sedimentary rock would be different kinds of fudge. So, uh, you know, she was a very popular teacher that way. Uh, And what did your sister wind up doing? My sister for a while worked for um, Human Rights Watch and other human rights organizations. Uh Now she's a full-time mom to her her two daughters, who are delightful.
0: I'm curious about this because I'm wondering where this insatiable curiosity that you have came from
1: well my dad i I mean i he is certainly an intellectually voracious person and my first book as i mentioned was about reading the encyclopedia from a to z and i stole the idea from him when i was a kid he started to read the encyclopedia britannica but he did not finish he made it up to like bolivia somewhere in the b's Mm -hmm. uh and because he had a life, you know, he had kids right. and, uh, but I thought you the said, idea, when
0: I grow up, I'm going to have no life. That I mean. was my goal. <laughs> I'm going to
1: have nothing but time to do ridiculous. stunts. So yes, that was, uh, he was the motivation for that. And I do love that he is, you know, he loved. we both have that, like, uh, just love of learning. And when we would go on trips, he would, um, you know, we would get to a site, and, like the Coliseum or whatever, and he would just spend the whole time reading the four pages in the guidebook about it and look up yeah. for a second
0: and be like, okay. And the total opposite. I, I like to read it as little as possible and experience mm-hmm. as much as possible. Interesting. But, but now you have a book out in on your shelf of uh, called The Know-It-All. There you uh, go, which I, I'm not familiar with. Well, but, that's uh, the
1: encyclopedia one that we were
0: just talking oh, about. Okay, so there, that, <laughs> that's that's your completion of your father's work.
1: Exactly, that's wow. it. And uh, and of course, you know, part of the lesson was you can never know everything. Um, but I did gain some wisdom from. I I I will say, people ask how much do I remember, and I would say, like less than one percent. Yeah. And unfortunately, a lot of what I remember is totally. Uh, useless information that I wish I didn't have. Like, you know, opossums have 13 nipples uh, arranged in a circle like wow, that. Circle. I can't get out of my mind. And uh, there's a philosophy one that I can't get. Rene Descartes was a great philosopher. Uh-huh. He had a fetish for cross-eyed women. We were just talking about fetishes. <laughs> so, And that was in the encyclopedia. So Interesting. that stuff. But I will say that some of the bigger takeaways were like, uh gratitude like we talked about and how how grateful I am to live today, even though we've got many problems, including one in the White House, and uh, you know, we've got a ton of problems. But compared to a hundred years ago, we're doing uh, fantastic. Oh, oh yeah. Comparatively yeah. it is like yeah. unbelievable. And Ste I've I'm a fan of Steven Pinker, uh, who writes a lot about like <laughs> progress is real. We have the lifespan has increased, and we are less violent. and so anyone who's like longing for America of the past, I think, is deluded
0: um and 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 that is an interesting um split in the way I think people want to see the development of societies. A lot of people want to go back in society, and a lot of people want to go forward in society. I don't know that necessarily the people who want to go back are any worse than the people who want to go forward. I think it's just a different personality type in terms of, like, nostalgic versus
1: explorer, you know? Right, that's interesting. Well, I would say, uh, I mean, partly I think it's that nostalgia is we we remember things incorrectly. Like, so some people will remember. Like, you know, we don't focus on how horrible things were. Like, when I think back to my childhood, like, it would be very interesting to time travel back to my childhood and just... Wait on a like a phone booth line, and think how long. Like, how would I feel about that? I'd be like, "This is insane! I'm waiting in line to make a phone call." And but gonna... but then
0: again, you didn't know at the time that there was anything better, so you didn't have that anxiety. Right.
1: Well, thank yes, thank God, people in the past didn't know how
0: crappy their lives were. But I I almost think like in, again, I feel like I'm I'm a forward and backward thinker. I like both. Like we talked about with this. You know, my show business and religion obsessions. But I like old show business. I've had a lot of old show business people. I like philosophers. That's like in nostalgia. You know, it's going back to these ancient things that I'm really into. The Bible, the old philosophers, the old comedians. I've always collected old things when I was a kid. Old comic books. Yeah. I like the old. But I'm also like, you know, I've got every like tech thing. I love like the Apple Watch and uh, the iPhone. I love the new.
1: That's great. You're a paradox. That's nice. <laughs> I'm a walking you paradox. A walk- well, I will say, I, I I agree with you that there's, there's some great things. Like, that was one of my big conclusions in the Bible. There are some wonderful parts about the Bible, about compassion and loving your neighbor. But then there's the insanity, too. So, it's it's a lot about... Being aware and, you know, Aristotle, people talk about how he was a great philosopher, but you read some of his stuff and, and he's he's got some like absolutely wacko theories. I wrote about it in one of my books, like one, he believed that women, the ideal age for marriage was men should be 35 and women should be 18. And and the reason he came up with that is because he was thirty five and he married an eighteen year old. It's like that's your proof that it worked for you. Yeah. So uh, so I would say yeah, be careful. Like there are some great things in the old like that you can mine, but you have to roll up your sleeves and find them.
0: But by the same token, I think as we go forward, as you explore, you're going to find lots of negative things as well. Oh uh, yeah, coming out of
1: the new. Well, I agree and with that. So, I mean, so. that's clear from the election, like the Facebook. I overall still think Facebook is is probably a a positive force by by like you know one percent. Yeah. But it's become evident, so evident, like that it has every huge new th- drawbacks.
0: Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And you were just saying what I was going to echo, which was every new thing that we're excited to embrace also has hidden negatives in it that we have to. Be careful for, as well as uh, going back to the old stuff. Be careful for the hidden negatives of old. Exactly.
1: You know? Yeah, I like that.
0: Um, all right. I think I have a good sense now on, uh, and uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is that you had a very good childhood, uh, a very close relationship with your parents.
1: I mean, I was yes, I was uh, very lucky. Uh, I always remember that. I mean, I was, I was miserable because I think that. You know, uh, I guess my brain was just built that way. So I hated middle school and most of high school. And, uh, you know, I was insecure. And then felt like a loser, all blah, 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 like many people. So I wouldn't say I had a happy childhood, but I had a lucky childhood.
0: Yeah, and a loving childhood.
1: And a loving, yes, my parents were very loving.
0: And I think, um, you know, as evidenced by the fact that you live near your parents and your sister lives even closer, there is this very strong... Uh, attachment that you guys have to your parents and i'm guessing that your h- insane curiosity is almost a way of being like to impress your parents like look look i'm i'm yeah. carrying
1: it on it's a good theory i think there's truth to that yeah, yeah
0: for sure both your parents were uh you know your your mom with the her creative ways of learning and your dad with his uh thirst for knowledge i think that in a way, you're really... I like it.
1: I li- won't argue with yeah. it. All well, right. I think that's true.
0: Okay, well, that was the question I came in with, was where does this come from uh, before I want to get into the philosophy, and now I think I have a good feel
1: on it. All right, I'm excited. I'm excited. <laughs> I kind of want to know who... I, like, I kind of hope that I know who it is so I can seem smarter than I am, but I also want to learn something new, so... Let me hear. What do we got?
0: Okay, so assuming that I'm pronouncing this right, Alex chose J.L. Schellenberg for you.
1: J.L. Schellenberg. Okay, totally new to me. Never heard of him.
0: All right, here's your connection. He says, AJ talks about how all of humanity is connected, so I picked a philosopher of isolation. Hmm. Also, I could not resist the combo of initials.
1: JL and (laughs) AJ, that is very profound. Yes, and so what did he? uh, What does that mean? A philosopher of isolation.
0: Well, I'm not sure, but I'll first before we dig into that, I'll read you a little bit about JL Schellenberg. Okay. Born in 1959. Yeah. He's a Canadian philosopher best known for his work in philosophy of religion. Okay. Uh, See, already there's another tie for you. There you go. He has a DPhil. Is that? a thing a, a so d phil is not a phd or i see a D P H I L? maybe it's like the canadian phd i guess or it's a typo <laughs> <laughs> and he has a d phil in philosophy from the university of oxford and yeah. is professor of philosophy at mount saint vincent university see i feel like what, what was the mount of saint vincent was it I feel like just Jews had Mount Sinai and everyone was like, all right, we have a mount too, you know. Right. Islam has a mountain. Everybody has a mountain. Muhammad went up a mountain. The Christians, they're like, oh, we have some mountains. Well, there are a lot of mountains
1: in the world. I feel there's enough mountains to spread around.
0: I guess mountains are so impressive to human beings that.
1: Exactly. You think, oh, them. they must be closer to God because yeah. they're big.
0: Yeah. So everybody has a mountain. Uh Okay. So Mount St. Vincent University and and. And adjunct professor in the Faculty of Graduate Studies at Dalhousie University. All right. Uh, Schellenberg's early development of an argument from divine hiddenness for atheism has been influential. In a subsequent series of books, he has arrived at a form of religion called skeptical religion, Hmm. which he regards as being compatible with atheism. In 2013, the Cambridge University Press-Journal Religious Studies published a special issue devoted to critical discussion of Schellenberg's philosophy of religion.
1: I like, listen, I like what I'm hearing so far, uh, even though I don't understand it. But I like the idea of a skeptical religion. Like, I I do, as I, I like the... The sort of the secular religious part, like Mm -hmm. having a religion but without the supernatural. Yeah, yeah. I'm a fan. All right, let's see what else J.L. has to say.
0: Okay, Uh, here's the synopsis from Alex. He says, Schellenberg tries to disprove the existence of a loving human like God. If God is perfectly loving, then God is open to personal relationships with people. Hmm. If God can have personal relationships, then no one can be unaware of God, Unless they resist him, and the concept of universal love, some people are unaware that God exists, but would love to receive universal love. If this can happen, God is not perfectly loving, because why would He hide? <laughs> if God is not perfectly loving, then He must not exist. If people want to believe in you, then there is no reason to hide. Hmm. All right. I would say uh, Jim Owen, the comedian. Uh, Irish, who lives in Australia? Did you hear that episode? No. What did he say? He had a great answer to that. Like, what did he say? He said that the perfect thing would be for you not to know if God exists or doesn't exist, because if you if you knew that God existed, there's like no free choice or whatever, and if you knew that God didn't exist, it would take all the mystery out of out of uh out of life, and 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 it would also. Take away a lot. Of, a lot of people would use it as an excuse to act unethically.
1: That's interesting. Well, let me say, the, I had this. I came across this issue in the year of living biblically because there's this part of the Bible that says it's in Leviticus, and it says that if two men are in a fight, and the wife of one of those men grabs the private parts, the testicles, of the other man, then her hand shall be cut off. That's the rule. Two men are in a fight, the wife of one of them grabs the balls of the other, cut off her hand. And I said to, I asked all these rabbis, like, what the hell? Like, this is the craziest law. Like, first of all, why so specific? Uh-huh. Like, did that happen to the guy who was writing <laughs> yeah. Leviticus? Like, he was in a fight and someone grabbed his balls? uh uh-huh. And secondly, um, you know, what's going on here? So, one of the answers I got commonly was that it was something far more broad, that it was don't embarrass. Embarrassment, as you said earlier, is very bad. Don't embarrass people. So, don't embarrass the husband by thinking you can get in the fight. Don't embarrass the other guy by grabbing the balls. And I was like, all right, I understand don't embarrass is a pretty good message, Why don't they just say that? Why don't they just say, "Don't embarrass your loved ones" instead of "Don't grab the balls"? It's not as poetic. Well, that's what they said. The (laughs) rabbi, one of the rabbis, was like, "Well, because that's too easy. You need like life should be a mystery, a puzzle for you to figure out." And it's an interesting point, but I, I wonder why? Why should life be a mystery? Why wouldn't God? Like, why is he playing games with us? Why doesn't he just tell us? Wouldn't that make for a better world?
0: I don't know. It's a good question. Um, well, you're a guy who loves to uncover mystery. And uh, even when it's something you said that doesn't interest you, it winds up interesting you. It's true. So if that was removed from you, would life
1: still be as rewarding? It's a good question. I mean, because I do love some types of mysteries. On the other hand, like I get very stressed out watching mystery movies, or even most movies. I don't like this, the feeling of suspense. I find it stressful. Like in a romantic comedy, uh-huh. I'm watching, I love that first act, they're falling in love, having a good time. Uh-huh second act with all the problems i get super stressed out like <laughs> i think that i would be okay with just
0: <laughs> the, 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 the first lo- act. The love yeah
1: and maybe uh maybe
0: we should let this siren pass
1: oh yeah that is a loud siren
0: this would you know this is jackie mason's uh when i did the podcast with him his philosophy for the best podcast in new york is to have ambient noise You have to have the sounds of New York, otherwise it could be recorded anywhere, and that's not as exciting for the listener. If as if they know that it was recorded in New York.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Although it's pretty easy to download, like New York sounds, I would imagine (laughs) there's like somewhere. Uh, But anyway, yeah. Sometimes I feel I would be happy with no mystery at all. Like you know, it's sort of the way that people in New York, you know, they say, "Oh, I love the seasons," and. You know, I could never live in LA cuz it's nice all the time. Uh-huh. Like, you know what? I could. I don't I would be fine with not having like, you know, 14 degree days. Yeah. So, uh <laughs> it it is an interesting philosophical question. Do you need the bad to appreciate the good?
0: Yeah. I I I'm I'm on the um side of yes. My biggest problem with LA is the consistently good weather. Really? Yeah. I mean it was it, it used to drive me nuts when I first moved there from New York because it hit me one day that there was no good weather in LA. There's just weather because <laughs> without bad weather, you have nothing to compare it to mm. and you don't as, appreciate as much good weather. Right. And then like whenever it would rain or something in LA, I loved it because that became good weather. Right. Because what makes one weather better than another, it's just that it's exciting to have. Yeah. You know? That's an
1: interesting point.
0: So good weather is a relative term. It's just either you have weather, which is just one kind of weather, or you have a weather that you look forward to, which is good weather, which for me
1: is now rain. Right. It's the anticipation. I mean, uh, well, it's almost like there's um, you know, the philosophical problem. Like, If you could choose to be in a constant state of the best orgasm ever, yeah, just for your entire life, the universe was just one big orgasm. Like, would that be a better life, or is it like you know the anticipation and the chase and all that business?
0: Again, like you'd be waiting for the high. I think like once you're on that, that becomes the 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 new like plane
1: of you oh, the so new level plane. that would be the normal, and you'd want. I would be interested in testing it out though. In I like, would like that to, I would like to do the empirical test Because you would it. like
0: to test everything out.
1: <laughs> well true. But this one in particular. Like I don't want to test out the opposite of like, you know, life right. is the most painful but if you give me a, a year of like full on blissful orgasm I would I would like to to see how that would go.
0: I think eventually it would just become your state of being.
1: Let's try it.
0: uh, (laughs) It's not up to me. (laughs) All right, AJ, (laughs) your year starts now. (laughs) Year of living
1: orgasmically. (laughs) I do think in like, you know, 50 years that will be a choice. I do think, because like, you know, they've done that to rats where they hook it up. To like you know, if they press the lever, they get like this right. little orgasm. So you think <laughs> possible could happen?
0: <laughs> the shit they've done to rats, you know.
1: I know. Sometimes, I mean, some sometimes they probably have a very happy life. Like if they do the the constant orgasm for rats, but maybe mm. or maybe they're just like
0: addicts at that point, you know, and they're like. True they're like dying for a rehab but it's never coming <laughs> <laughs> and then the you know the rat in the cage next to them it's getting tested for beauty products is like why couldn't i have been in the orgasm uh, <laughs> tank
1: exactly
0: um <laughs> I have a paragraph by J. L. for A. J. Uh, if you don't mind, uh, I would love it reading it here. Oh,
1: okay. Under where it says a paragraph, many religious writers have held that God would wish His existence to be obscure. Why would God be hidden from us? Surely, a morally perfect being would show Himself. The weakness of our evidence for God is not a sign that God is hidden; it is a revelation. That God does not exist. That's interesting. Yeah, so basically, why is God so coy? Like, what is his problem? Uh, Like, you know, why? He's, He's kind of lying to us. He's like... Just get out there. Uh, I mean, it reminds me of an article I once did called Radical Honesty, Mm -hmm. which is this guy, a a psychologist in Virginia, started it. And he believes that we should never lie. But even more, whatever comes out of whatever's in our brain should come out of our mouth. Like that is no filter, no filter. Like, and so he would say, he would agree with that, that like God is being. A jerk for hiding himself, for,
0: for filtering,
1: for filtering, and this guy even thought like when I interviewed him, like he would fart, and because he's like he felt that <laughs> suppressing farts was like dishonest. How did you feel
0: about this whole thing? Did you feel at the end walking away that you you, you agreed with? I, I would imagine not, because you're not farting through the interview. <laughs> I have held
1: it in, and it's been very painful. Uh, but I would say. There are parts of his strategy that I, I did adopt and made my life better, and many parts that, that I think are horrible, like the grays you were talking about. Like the parts that are good are, it doesn't all have to be like, you look fat in that dress. It doesn't have to be negative right. honesty. It can be like, you know, are, uh, uh, like I called my mentor from my first job, and it was like, you know, you just want to let you know, you mean a lot to me, and blah, blah, blah. So... Like it was awkward, but overall good, I think. Yeah. So so positive honesty is good. But the but the way he frames it, I think it can do a lot of damage.
0: You know, I'm thinking about this paragraph, and I'm it occurred to me just now, those who are looking for God and feel they cannot find God, do they even know what they're looking for? Tell me more. No, I mean just like what can if you don't know what you're looking for. You know, like the George Harrison lyric, if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. Right. But if you don't know what you're looking for, then you you could be looking right at it and not know you found it.
1: That's interesting. So, so
0: what? If, if your definition of God is wrong, like to me, like when I was talking about earlier, like the idea of God is good and everything, I'm honestly like often philosophizing in my head uh, about what God is and and how to understand God, and how to see God, and I do believe in God. My question is, you know, and I don't think anybody has the answer a hundred percent, but I think some people are closer than others. What is God, and how do you tap into that?
1: Right. Well, I would say I am of the belief that, uh, you know. You can define God however you want. If you define God just as love, then yes, I believe love exists, so I believe God exists. If you define God as a supernatural being who can affect the fate of the world and create miracles, I would say I have not seen evidence of that.
0: But what about instead of affect the fate of the world, is the fate of the world?
1: Well then, you I do, think you do believe that
0: there is a fate to the world,
1: right? But I don't think you need to add. It's like an extra step. It's like the um, the the argument from design, which I studied in college. Like a, you know, the universe uh, exists. So. It's The watchmaker argument, you know, if a watch yeah. exists, there had to be a watchmaker, right? Um, and apply that to the universe. The universe exists, so there has to be a universe maker. But why would that analogy hold? Like, maybe there is no creator. And if you have a creator, then who created the creator? It's turtles all the way down, as they say. Mm-hmm. So, um, so to me, yeah, I, I, I can believe fate exists, but uh. I don't I, I don't right. see the need to posit something and else. You have addition. to believe
0: in fate if you don't believe in free choice, right?
1: Right. I mean, I believe in a certain kind of fate determinism. I don't believe that like if I continue sitting on this chair that my mm-hmm. life will be the same as if I like go and work my ass off and help my kids. Like I don't believe that kind of fate. Right. But I do I do believe that, you know, given the arrangement of atoms in the universe and the laws of nature that Certain things are bound to happen,
0: right? But w- the laws of nature—once again, who or how do these laws exist? Well, yeah, that is a mystery. I mean, I, that I can't solve. So that's that's but, what some people are trying to tap into to understand God.
1: True, but if you say, but again, I think it goes back to the turtles all the way down problem. If you say, well, the, someone had to create the laws of nature. Well, who created that someone? And that's but that's assuming that it's a someone or something, right? Why not just stop at the well,
0: laws of nature? But I, I guess the thing for me that helps with that is the idea of God being beyond time. If God created time, then before time, you don't need a creator before the creation of time, right? Or without the construct of time, that no longer is an issue.
1: I would agree with that, but I still think that. Positing something as God, it's not adding anything to my understanding. Like it's. Uh,
0: but going back to like the mystery of the laws of nature, why is that mystery
1: okay? But the mystery of God, people have a hard time with. Well, that's an interesting question. Let me think about that. I would say the word mystery is, uh, I guess, in the sense of the laws of nature, the word mystery means why do they exist in the way they exist. And maybe the answer is that there is, we cannot find a causal reason for that. Like, it ends at the laws of nature. Whereas, because uh, there's got to be an end point. Like, even with God, if you posit, oh, the laws of nature are, you know, the reason we have gravity is because of God. Well, why do we have God? Like, who made God? So, I feel that you got to end somewhere, so why not just end at the easiest, simplest place, Occam's Razor. Because it's lazy. Lazy.
0: Well, uh, to, to just end, why not end at the simplest place is a lazy answer. Like, let's just make this, yeah, the Occam's Razor is a lazy,
1: he's a lazy, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Occam copped out. Well, first of all, Occam, let me just say, like. We're not talking o- Occam's electric razor. He was actually <laughs> he was, using the razor right on the like, corners of his face. <laughs> yes, that's uh, that takes some effort. It's defiant, so please don't uh, trash Occam's razor. Um, well, it's interesting. I mean, I don't know. Lazy is one way of saying it, or simple, and uh, you know, true is another way of saying it. I, it's like I, Occam didn't really want to do much investigating.
0: He was like. He's like the opposite of you, like like. Whereas <laughs> you will like read the whole encyclopedia. Ockham was like, yeah, I don't need to do that. <laughs> like, Whatever's easy. What, what's the easier thing here? I'll just uh, Google <laughs> as needed. That is
1: funny. I don't agree with it, but I like it. <laughs> right, that right. <laughs> that, that's a good place to be. That is a good place to be. Um, <laughs> we have
0: some quotes here that, I, as you know, as a listener, I always ask the guests to read and uh, discuss.
1: Uh, we want to do the. No first course, quote of course of course um honest examination erodes belief away uh well i think it depends what you mean by belief uh but you know i do th- i do believe in in an objective truth and and the scientific method so it doesn't erode but uh, but i do think what we talked about earlier is true i'm very interested in the grays of knowledge and that we can't know things for sure but we still have to go with them. Yeah. And I was reading an interesting book about time and even time like you think that the fact that it's 4:38 p.m. right now that's a like a pretty objective fact but in fact it is very complicated and there's this group of people outside of Paris who are Right now, working to figure out what is the exact time. Because they have 50 <laughs> atomic clocks sending messages, but each one is like several nanoseconds off. How do they have time for that? They, <laughs> well, they make time. That's how they are the one.
0: All right. Well, uh, you want to move on to that second quote? Ready.
1: <laughs> okay. So here, Some are open to being found by a divine parent. They seek, but do not find. I don't know what to make of that. To be honest, I don't really. Uh, well, it's like all right. somewhere are op- being op- open to being found by a divine parent. They seek but do not find. So it's basically people who want to believe in God, but they don't see any signs of it. It uh, sounds
0: like he's just disappointed. There's like this this part of this was that feels to me like he really wanted God, didn't find what he wanted, right? And, and-
1: I think that's an excellent. Yeah, he's kind of bitter. He's like God, like you know. Stop hiding. Stop being all coy. Yeah. And I will say... Also reminds I often, me of
0: George Harrison's song. I really want to see you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that guy could have been God. I, I am a big fan of him. He's my favorite Beatle. I used to be like, like you. I used to love John Lennon. And then I switched over to Harrison. That's great. You know what? I think that that is... Uh, I don't want to pat myself on the back or... or I'll but I'll pat you on the back. Like <laughs> I think that is a good evolution. It's like the uh, like kids a moral in rehab. It, it,
0: it, yeah, it, exactly. You could pat yourself on the back.
1: I mean, he's just the nicest bee. He's the kindest, most thoughtful of the Beatles. Yeah,
0: what were you going to say before that? You were
1: Well, buddies. I I often do think of this thought experiment like what would convince me what what evidence would convince me that there is a God? Uh, like, you know, if I was looking at the sky and the stars rearranged themselves and wrote out, you know, God exists, AJ, you are an idiot and you're going to hell unless you start believing, like, would that be enough to convince me? And uh, honestly, I'm not sure it would. Really? Even that? Not even that, because maybe if that happened over and over for like 50 years then I might start to think I'm, I'm either crazy or there is a God. but, but Even but if I, that
0: happened once and you didn't do it, you'd have to probably look at yourself honestly and be like, I guess I'm just resistant.
1: Well, I would say...
0: Planets moving for you to, to answer your specific question?
1: Well, I always come back to the phrase, you know, uh, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. So I do think that... The fact that there is a God is an extraordinary claim. So it would require a huge amount of evidence to convince me that there are not easier explanations like that I'm tripping on someone like dosed my lemonade with LSD or that like I'm psychotic. Like those to me are easier but why explanations. Why would your
0: psychosis manifest itself in that way? Well like you why know. would why would that be your trip? I mean I would read into that anyway. Like, I'd be like, even if you find out you were tripping, like, you have to look deep inside and be like, was that still something uh, geared towards me? Like, was that trip uh, a divine intervention of sorts?
1: I mean, that sounds like like, this guy, he really wants proof and he's, uh, you know, he's annoyed that he doesn't have it. Uh, but I could say, I would say there are other reasons why your trip would manifest itself that way. Like, you know, just that, uh, psychologically you're saying. Yeah. That, you know, you sort of, uh, you're feeling unmoored, unanchored, and you think a God will help anchor your life, but it doesn't. But but that raises a
0: question of why do you think a God would, would anchor your life?
1: Well, I would say that you can have beliefs. uh, First of all, I do think that uh, have believing in a god is does anchor your life. I do think, you know, that people often are happier if they believe in god because it's more of a purpose and the the universe is not this amoral mass of atoms. But uh but I don't find that to be convincing proof that god is real.
0: Yeah, but I always find that funny that like even though there are people like yourself that see it as it could be incredibly psychologically positive um that's not g- good enough for for me it's not as simple as that but that would be good enough because right. like if i if you t- if i found like a really comfy chair you know and you told me that's not a comfy chair and i'm sitting in it and i'm like well it feels comfy to me I don't care what you think. <laughs> I found a comfy <laughs> chair, you know. Like,
1: well, it is a fascinating question of like, what if I could choose right now and say, I, uh, my future self will become a believer and I will be happier. Would I choose that? It's almost like the Matrix question. When like,
0: you lived bib- biblically, you didn't b- believe in God throughout well, the year.
1: Well, it was weird because I do think that that. Cognitive dissonance is is a very powerful uh, part of the brain. So when I I was praying five times a week, five times a day, I sort of started to believe in that thing I was praying to because I couldn't just hold these two propositions in my brain. It was like it was too much. So so I definitely uh, experienced points during that year when I believed because I was acting uh, as if I believed, but, uh, but once I stopped praying five times a day, then that kind of faded. Interesting.
0: As somebody who's fascinated with all this, as you know I am, I would love to see a book for my own personal uh, enjoyment and, and interest where you chose to believe in God for a year and see if, what, what effect that had on you. And if oh, you yeah. could go back to not believing at the end of the year.
1: Right. I, I were, agree. Where you it actively would let go of
0: any skepticism for a year. Because, you know, assuming that there is no God,
1: there is no harm. Mm-hmm, you know? That's true. Well, it's, uh, I would say it would be fascinating. I mean, It brings up the question, can you force yourself to believe in something like, could I just say tomorrow? All right, I am going to uh, relinquish all my skepticism and just say, hell yeah, there's a God. That's Uh, an interesting hypothesis. I would say the way to do it is the way I did it, it's just to start praying all the time. And it'll like, you know.
0: It's the same thing as giving your wife something every day and falling more in love. Exactly. Giving something to God, whether or not you believe God is there, the act of giving to uh, something. Makes you more
1: attached to it. That's right. Totally, I agree. Yeah, so I could, I could probably make myself believe by like becoming like a, a an insane prayer. Prayer. <laughs> could you do it without prayer? That I don't know. That I don't know.
0: That'd be interesting.
1: That would be hard. Should I read some more?
0: No, we're done. Oh, we're done. No, no, I'm kidding. Of course, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this
1: is the last quote. So, yeah. Uh, so that's good. Atheists do not resist God's love. They were once inclined to resist removal of their belief. They were on friendly terms with God. Yeah, this, I agree with you. This guy sounds like he's got some real issues, like... Basically, he feels that God rejected him. Like God yeah. was not, you, you know, the you're not. He's not that into you. Yeah. Like this guy feels like he has some real residual bitterness. I think, that, yeah, that like he had a crush on God, and God was Reject- like,
0: it's like he's writing about a, a chick uh, trying to get her attention.
1: Yeah, and it's you like, know, let it go, dude. Let it go. Yeah. Uh, yeah to me, he's <laughs> the motivations for his atheism <laughs> are a little suspect <laughs> that he's so angry at God. But,
0: again... He's, he's still alive. I'd, I'd love for him to write into the show.
1: <laughs> he sounds wonderful and fascinating. So, let me say that. Uh, yeah. But I don't want... So, I don't want to get in trouble uh, with him. But I, I would love to hear why it was so important to him.
0: From these little snippets, anyway, it does seem... Yes.
1: That's true. Yeah. We yeah. are totally distorting his life's work. Yes. So, uh, with some snippets.
0: Which Wikipedia. I have no problem with doing on this show. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's always great. to me less interesting that we get it right than that we get something out of it that's you know? interesting
1: yeah uh well that was fantastic i loved it and you have converted me i am now a <laughs> an orthodox jew who believes in god
0: uh, it certainly wasn't my intention <laughs> <laughs> get out now <laughs> no i'm kidding i i love it i i you know i'm i'm very happy with my choice
1: well there are a lot of studies you know that Religious people live longer uh, because you are in a community, and uh, you know. So I I don't deny the the many many positive benefits.
0: And anything negative I found about it, I just got got away from. Like, <laughs> That's the way they do yeah, it. If I found something I didn't like, cut it out. Uh, or you know, I took the time to explore it and made. And usually, the things I don't like are are personal. You know. So, some you know somebody, mm. somebody's take on religion. Somebody's, you know, it's usually that, right? But I find overall religion and belief in God to be incredibly optimistic, and I'm an optimist.
1: That's wonderful. Listen, if it makes you a better person, uh, which uh, it sounds like it does, then I think that. Uh, the benefits might outweigh the cost.
0: Yeah. Again, the comfy chair. <laughs> if it's working, you know, for me, I'm not so concerned with the science. Right. Totally. Um, look, it was a pleasure talking to you. I had
1: a great time. Thank you for coming over and uh, for allowing me to be lazy. And uh, <laughs> uh, I loved our conversation.
0: And uh, I'm honored to have you as a listener. The new book, again, is called?
1: It's called Thank You All. Thank you all. And,
0: and and again, what is that uh, one about? I think you that's
1: the one it. where I take my coffee and I thank yes, every everybody. single
0: person. That's awesome. I'm really looking forward to that.
1: Thanks, Danny. I am just, and thank you again for being part of the Global Family Reunion. Yes. Thanks, cousin. Thanks, cousin.
0: All right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in for that talk. Thank you to Mr. A.J. Jacobs. Go and pick up all of his books Thank you to Splishlad for leaving a five-star review on the Apple Podcasts store with that wonderful, wonderful, uh, and um, certainly made me feel good, that thing you wrote there. uh, Very, very funny and riffing off the guests, and you made it, even though you didn't make it, but you kind of made it. Anyway, that all was very nice, and uh, I will try to internalize the compliment and try and focus on living in a reality where I think I have made it, or something. I get what you're saying. I get that I've. you appreciate me, and I, I appreciate you too, okay? I, I appreciate that, that you appreciate me. And to the Jewish listeners out there, I wish you a wonderful Rosh Hashanah, happy, healthy holidays. Dip those apples in those honey pots and uh, a good fast for your Yom Kippur and atonement. And a great new year. And for everybody else, you're screwed. You're absolutely screwed. What? You thought you had a chance? Well, turning to Gilbert Godfrey. What? Did you think you're going to get it? Don't you? Not even. All right. All right. This is embarrassing. The impressions are off. But could I do it? Could I really do it? What if I committed? What if I really committed? Tried (laughs) to do the Gilbert Godfrey wishing you a happy Rosh Hashanah. I can't do it exactly, but it's. Better than before. I don't know. It's a little bit, it needs work. Let's be honest. Okay. Happy holidays to everybody. Jewish, not Jewish. Uh, you know what? Even Hindus. <laughs> like I had something against Hindus. Like, even Hindus. You know what? Especially Hindus. Guys, I'll see you next season. Or wait, I'll see you hopefully with a wrap-up show of this season with the wonderful Mr. Alex Fasella, who I cannot thank enough. For all the hard work he does behind the scenes of this show, giving us great topics and philosophers and quotes to talk about with the guests, he makes the show as beautiful a tapestry of audio as it is. And you know who cleans up that tapestry and makes it shine? Mr. Logan Heftel, who's been with us since episode one. And we love him. Thank you both of those guys. Thank you to both of those guys. And thank you to all of you for tuning in. Hey, guess what? You could help grow the show. You're like me, grow the show. I've got so much on my plate already. Take it easy. It's not asking a lot. I don't know, Labelle. What are you thinking here? I'm thinking tell folks about the podcast. Because if we could re- reach here's the thing, I found out, I'm like, this is a lot of work, this podcast. I love it. A lot of you love it, and I don't want to stop that. But wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice if I could make some money? I got a kid coming. And I wouldn't have to beg you guys, I could have ads on the podcast. So I approach the advertisers and I say, look, we've got between 20 and 80,000 downloads per episode. They're like, but how many downloads do you average within the first 10 days of the episode coming out? And I'm like, 10,000. And they're like, that's the lucky number. Let's do it. 10,000 advertisements, money, everything's going to happen. Boom, bam, boom. And then they looked at it and they're like, "Uh, uh, uh, not so fast, Mr. Lobel, because only 6,000 of those initial 10,000 come from within the United States. And that's the number we care about. So all those guys in the UK and Australia and Canada and the two people in Saudi Arabia that listen, they don't count for advertisers. So you got to get that number up another 4,000 U.S. downloads per within the first 10 days per episode. So I'm like, yeesh, how am I going to do that unless I turn to the people and say, let's make a movement out of this. We're all in it together. You, me, you, him, her, them, everyone. Share the show. Talk about the show. Post about the show. Tweet the show. Facebook the show. Instagram the show. Other social media that I'm not aware of because I'm not hip enough to know about the show. Please get the show out there. And, of course, leave five stars and a nice review. I'll see you next season, or at least with the wrap-up with Alex Vassella. You don't want to miss it. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Bye for now. So long. Adios. Talk to you later. Hopefully sooner. Bye-bye. No, don't leave. You have to go. Podcast's over.